Okay, Shalom Alechem, Shalom everyone. I'm very, very glad you're able to come to the class this evening. And uh, what I really want to do is uh, what I planned to do last week. And we didn't, we just didn't get the chance. But we want to back up just a little bit and talk about Hashem just, just for a few seconds here on uh, continuing in our study of climbing the ladder or changing the way that we think. That's what our subject has been for quite some time now. And uh, and hopefully that's what we're doing. In fact, you know, I, I have to tell you, it's not like I have it down down pat every time I have to work on something. And sometimes it even comes while while the presentation is going on. I see something that I that I never saw before, and it again it uh, it uh, checks my thinking in certain ways. And so that really is what we're trying to do: changing the way we think, only in the sense that that uh, we don't think correctly. And what we are trying to do is come to an understanding of how the sages of Israel, what was their thought process? How did they view the world? How did they view the universe? How did they view the creation? Uh, how did they view Hashem? How did they view uh, uh, mankind's role? Because sometimes the information that we are getting is not based on the way the sages think at all. It's based on a Western or a Greek understanding or a Latin understanding uh, of things. And as a result, we think we know what we're talking about, and we think we know how it works, and uh, and but we actually don't. So that's been the purpose of this of this whole series of climbing the ladder, and using a translation of two introductions that were made by Mark and Yadidia Cohen in a in a sefer called In the Shadow of the Ladder, uh, of two introductions to Kabbalistic study, an introduction to the study of the Zohar and an introduction to the study of the Ten Sefirot written by a very, very great Kabbalist of uh, the 20th century, Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag, the Baal HaSulam. So let's continue where we left off. We're still in the, we're in the section, and I want to mention this also before we go. Uh, we're in the section, though, of key concepts and definitions of things, meaning Kabbalistic definitions of, of things. And the reason I wanted, you know, the last time we were together, we looked at the whole concept of Torah and what it was, both the written Torah and the oral Torah. And one of the things, and one of the things we saw that Rabbi Ashlag was explaining to us is how the Torah comes down to us and uh, from Hashem at the highest level, and at every level or at every universe, it has different garments, and it's only here in this world that it has the coarsest garments, which are actually concealing. They really conceal things that are in the Torah, and that's and that's the same way that it is with us, even in our daily lives. Hashem is so concealed in this level of the world of Asiyah, the world of doing. Now, it's also important to remember that it wasn't always quite that way. We know that it wasn't quite that way. Uh, look at all the history of Israel from uh, the redemption from Egypt, when Hashem was openly, openly doing miracles that no one could make a mistake about. No one could say, oh, that was something natural. Uh, that's, that's a whole different... Uh, level of understanding of how the uh, Sfirot and the and really the the uh, the uh, part the different personalities the different degrees of the downgrading of the light how they are interacting with each other in the upper universes that's a little too com more complicated than I want to get into right now but the idea is is that Hashem wasn't so always so so concealed in this level of Asiyah and it's only our sins, actually. It's our constant addition to the side of uncleanness that really makes him so completely hidden in this world. 
even even though he would be hidden in this world compared to the universe above, Yetzirah or Bria or or Atzilut, he would, he's hidden more and more. In fact, the only difference between all of those universes is the level of concealment of God. But I wanted to mention this before we go on. The last thing we talked about the Torah, and that was that, that there is a very important principle, it says in Kabbalah, which tells us that, that there is no revelation except in a place where there is prior concealment. Now, that's, that's actually an amazing statement because that actually is the same kind of statement that the rabbis are talking about when they, when they talk about the whole purpose of all these different universes, all these spiritual universes, and then the manifestation of a physical universe, and Hashem creating bodies for us, and Hashem separating souls from Himself by giving them a will to receive, and then putting those souls into bodies. Uh, where the rabbis make the statement that Hashem hews out from under his throne of glory a soul and puts it in a body in this world so that it can do the spiritual work and return to him and now stand before the throne of glory. This is the same idea. There is no revelation except in a place where there is prior concealment. Because even though our souls were with Hashem before the foundation of the creation, before everything, we were under the throne. <laughs> We were, we were, there was not a revelation of Hashem, even though we were with Him and, and were really in a level of being one with Him. There was no revelation of Him because even in that place He was concealed at some level. And so this is a, the whole thing about putting a soul in a body so that it can return to Him. And now there's a revelation of Hashem that we didn't, even though we were one with Him before, we didn't, we didn't know. We, we didn't have that level of consciousness. And it's the same kind of thing in our study of the Torah, and and that Hashem is so completely hidden in the Torah, and that this is what Torah study is all about, and this is why it's pleasing to Hashem, and this is what our motivation should be, to study Torah in order to please Him. Not just to improve ourselves, but everything we are doing to also to improve ourselves. The, the idea needs to be is that it is in order to please Him. Uh, because it pleases him that we study his Torah. It pleases him that we improve ourselves. It pleases him that that where there was concealment, now there is revelation that we see what we couldn't and understand what we couldn't before. Then the other thing that was stated on this particular slide was that another way of expressing the nature of spiritual work, the spiritual work that we do in this world of Asiyah, is to say that we endeavor to find the light of Hashem that is hidden in all capital A, capital L, capital L, of reality, in all of reality, because the light of Hashem, everything is light. And, and um, the, you know, the Baal Shem Tov had a saying like this. He, he talked about how our main task, our main spiritual work in this world was to find a way in which we could serve Hashem in absolutely everything, everything there was in reality. And this is the same idea. Everything is coming from God. Everything is coming from Hashem. And, and we have to find a way. That is part of our spiritual work. We have to find a way to find the light of Hashem that's hidden there. And we have to find a way that we elevate that to His service. That, that to me, has always been the secret of Judaism. The secret of Judaism, the main secret, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure other, other teachers would say different, have different impressions, but as far as I'm concerned, one of the, the greatest secret of Judaism is that there is no situation in life, there is no, and it doesn't matter what it is, it, it absolutely doesn't matter, there is, 
there's absolutely no area of life that is cut off from God that is not used in order to bless him, in order to acknowledge his involvement in it, and, and thus sanctify it, thus lift it up from something that is mundane to something that now is holy. Okay, I, I better get off the lecture there. We'll, we'll never make it very far tonight, will we? Okay, the next thing that, uh, the last thing that we talked about when we were together the last time, and we went through very, very quickly, and I'm not going to add too much to it tonight because we simply can't. Uh, was the concept of God, the concept of Hashem. And the reason I'm not able to add too much more to it, I remember many years ago hearing uh, a, uh, an Israeli professor, Professor uh, Pinkas Lapid, and it was actually in, a, uh, in kind of a uh, debate, even though it really wasn't much of a debate, but a debate between him and a, and a, and a very great Christian scholar on uh, talking about differences between Judaism and uh, and uh, Christianity and these things, but I remember something that Professor Lapide said that floored me, kind of floored me at that time, but that all these years of studying Torah and and especially studying Oral Torah, I have found to be absolutely true over and over and over again. Okay, I mean absolutely true. Professor Professor Lapid made this statement, I, I, and it's just stuck with me. And this is probably 30 years; it's stuck with me. He said, <laughs> "We can write down everything that we know about God on the back of a postcard, and still have plenty of room for the stamp." And he's absolutely correct. We just don't know because his essence is unknowable. So anyway, let's go. Let's run through these. These are are points that come from the Kabbalah, that come from uh, mainly the Holy Zohar and also uh, from the writings of the Bahir and uh, and Sefer Yetzirah. That number one, Hashem as the unique one, as the one. In other words, in His unity, He is completely and totally changeless. He doesn't change in any way whatsoever. Number two is the essence of Hashem, of the One, is absolutely unknowable. Now these are things that we know. These are things that Kabbalah teaches us. This is what we know. Number one, He is completely and totally changeless. Number two, His essence is absolutely unknowable. And so what, how do we know anything about Him? They say it's only through the light, which emanates from God, which emanates from Hashem, can we actually begin to know Him. But we still don't know everything about him. We only, when it says we know him, it means to have some kind of relationship with him. Can we begin to recognize him? Can we begin to begin to understand a little bit about him? But not really much. Like Professor Lapide said, we can write it all on the back of a postcard. The different aspects of this light, the Kabbalah teaches us, have many different names. Because they're, and this is why we have diff so many different uh, names of Hashem, names of God. is because they are different aspects of the one, of the one light that comes from the one being. And finally, in this, in this sense, on this slide, creation, the creation and what it does, does not in the least affect Hashem, not in his essence, not in the essence of the one. Now that doesn't mean, that's not to say that we don't, by what we think, say and do, that we don't make him unhappy, in a sense if we can even use such words to talk about God, that we don't uh, disappoint him, or that we don't please him. Uh, it does, but it does not affect his essence, not in any shape, form, or fashion. 
And these are rules, really. What we're going through right now are actually rules of Kabbalah when it comes to God, when it comes to Hashem, Hashem Echad. Now, the science of Kabbalah actually does not deal with the essence of divinity. You know, if you go to uh, a Christian uh, theology, any Christian uh, systematic uh, theology book, and, and theology in itself basically means the study of God. Well, I, I tell you, and people think I'm crazy when I say this, but, but it's true. Judaism actually does not have theology. We honestly, we don't actually study God. We don't study the essence of his divinity. Uh, we know what the Torah reveals about him, these, these simple things that we can know. And that's all. Everything else has to do with how he is operating. We know his ways. That's why the Ramchal, that's, and this is an important, that's why one of his most important books that he wrote was a book called Derek Hashem uh, by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Uzato. And it's, it's an important work because he is not actually describing, although he is, he is dealing with it in the way that we should walk, Derek Hashem is actually, you remember when Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, Moses, uh, asked, asked God a question. He said, I want to know your ways, your, your derachim. Uh, what was that? It means the way God runs the universe. And that really is what the, the science of Kabbalah is dealing with. It does not deal with the essence of divinity. Another rule, God is absolutely simple. This is what the Arizal taught us. He is totally in his... In his oneness, in his unity, he is, he is completely and totally simple and one and changeless. There is an expression uh, in the Kabbalah that says Hashem cannot be grasped with the mind at all. And, there, and then there is another one that says we can know nothing of his essence. We can only know his deeds. In other words, his, his derachim, his ways, the ways that he runs the universe, the way he, he operates everything. And Kabbalah, and this is from uh, this is actually from Rabbi uh, Abraham Greenbaum, uh, and he's right on the money with this. The Kabbalah deals actually only with the emanations of the light of Hashem, meaning that this is the way everything runs. And much of Kabbalah, Rabbi Greenbaum says, is concerned with explaining what happens as the infinite light. And we need to get a hold of that statement. The light is absolutely infinite. There is no end to it either to its depth, length, or, or immortality, or anything else. Everything is contained in it. In fact, Kabbalah speaks of the light of Hashem, and, and Hashem himself as, as uh, these are equivalent expressions. So, much of Kabbalah is concerned with, uh, uh, excuse me, much of Kabbalah is concerned with explaining what happens as the infinite light is successively muted, or filtered down, if we will, so as to shine in a measured way. Why do we have to do that? Because that's what has to happen in order to create worlds that can now receive the light of the divine without being obliterate, obliterated, without being totally destroyed because of, the, because of the level that we are on. Now, don't get upset over that. A lot of people get upset over that, and they want more. They want, they, they, they want to plug, plug directly into the nuclear reactor. But we are a 60-watt light bulb, and that means we would totally destroy ourselves. Not only that, but even though the light is filtered down, remember this, even though the light is all filtered down, and we are studying in, in all of our Kabbalistic studies of how this light is successively muted, it's still the same light. 
It's still the same light, absolutely. Now, then, these emanations of light that are coming from Hashem, they've come to fill the various vessels that have been formed. And from the point of view of the vessels, creation and its continued existence represent, and this is, we are the vessels, by the way, its continued existence represent an incredibly complex dynamic of emanations of Hashem's light that's coming and going, or it's being received, or it's being refused. Uh, it's having cause and effect relationships on everything. And it really is, this is much of the in-depth, really, really complicated matter of the study of this dynamic, which is the main subject matter of the science of Kabbalah. It's telling us the inner story of the universe, how everything is coming, because everything comes from, by the way, also from the inside out, as well as from above, uh, above to below. But there are also things that go from below to above to influence that light. But, but the science of Kabbalah tells the inner story of the universe from the very beginnings of creation through completely to its final redemption and to its complete healing. Let's see. Okay. Now we begin. Now we're in new territory. Okay. And the new territory now that we are in is, is what uh, Rabbi Ashlag wants to define, or actually what uh, Mark and Yadija Cohen, the, the translators of his works, want to point out to us about Halakha. Uh, in many, many texts all over the place, uh, halakha is described in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, they tell us that it's usually translated as Jewish law. But it's, they point out that it's literal meaning. If I say ani holek, holek is the same root, the same word as halakha. It means I'm going, I'm going, or I'm walking. Okay? So its literal meaning is going, walking, or treading the path. And what this means in Kabbalah, what Halakha, it, it, it's, it's, it's uh, specific definition in, in, uh, in Kabbalah, it means treading a path back to Hashem, back to the concept of Devekut. If you remember the very early lessons that we were talking about, Devekut, Devek, to be glued to Hashem. It means cleaving to Him. And, and Rabbi Ashlag has taught us that this is something that we have to do even though, and I had this conversation the other night with another group of students, even though we, we are a whole person, okay, we still have, we still have many aspects, in other words, to our personalities, to our souls, and we, and we may be devic, we may be cleaving to a shim in one, in, cer in a certain area of our life, and then in another area of our life, we may be completely, completely not cleaving to him at all. So, and uh, and that that particular uh, lesson it got down to what is it that actually determines the level of a person in the world to come? It actually actually what it means is just how many aspects of your personality of your life were you successful in in becoming devekut in becoming cleaving to a shim? How how many of them? Uh, and if you get all of them, I mean, if you get to a certain level where they're all included in, you, in, in Rabbi Ashlag has explained to us, which means you will never go back. Hashem himself testifies that you will never go back to your foolishness. That means you can reach the level of what, what Kabbalah defines as a tzaddik, a tzaddik gamul, a completed tzaddik, okay? But even there, there are still many different levels of a complete tzaddik. Until we have rectified all these things, until we have 
attached ourselves back to Hashem, and we'll explain what that actually means just as a reminder. Uh, until we have done that, then we are what is called, or what is referred to as a Benoni, an in-between person. Okay? Uh, it means one second we're connected, and the next second we're not. Uh, one second we have it together, and then something happens in the next second, or maybe just a particular area of our life that, we, that we're not. We're, we're not there. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so how do we do that? If you remember, and this is just a reminder to you, of what the main message of everything we have been saying in this entire series of climbing the ladder, it has to do with that will to receive for ourselves alone, and that we and, and we're going to talk more about this because halakha is actually uh, the, the assistant to enable us to do that, and that will to receive for ourselves alone must be transformed into a will to receive in order to please Hashem, or in order to benefit others. If it's only coming from our ego, that actually separates us more from Hashem than anything else in the world. Now, so, halakha is not just Jewish law. It means the way we walk, the way we go, treading the path, meaning the path back to Hashem, to the, to the concept of Devekut, cleaving to Him. Now, they point out that under, if we understand it in this way, now Kabbalah tends to, it, it doesn't see Halakha the same way as most, most people do. Not even, unfortunately, not even uh, uh, a lot of Jews see Halakha this way. But this is the way the great sages of Israel saw Halakha. It's less as a system of laws that have to be obeyed, okay? In other words, boy, you better, you know, you better do this or you're, you're going to get it. Uh, that's not what it is. It's a map. It's a map for a journey. A journey of transformation of our souls that we have to undertake. That's what halakha actually is. And if I'm speaking to, to anyone actually that's Jewish here, that uh, halakha for the Jews is the most important thing that we can do because it will affect our thinking, our speaking, and our and our actions. And this, and, but look at it not as oh, what a burden, what a hassle, what a pain that I have to do things this way and at this time and in in a certain manner and uh, and all of these things. No, it's a map. It is the map for the journey back to Hashem. For Bnei Noach also, for non-Jews also, the halakha for non-Jews also. And unfortunately, that. Uh, I mean, there is has been a tremendous amount of work done on halakha for non-Jews. It's much simpler in, in the sense of where it's at right now, much simpler, in that uh, you're obligated, non-Jews are obligated, certainly to observe the seven commandments. But when we begin to allow the sages, uh, the contemporary sages and, and the ancient sages, to start to develop that, it can also become quite complex for, for non-Jews too. And at the same time, all of Judaism is open to you if, if, you, if you choose to practice as, as much as you possibly can or as much as you, or you are able to. But still, this is a map. That's the way to look at it. It takes all the burden off of it. It, it really does. It is a map for a journey of transformation of your soul in order to go back to Hashem, in order to become one with Him. That's what a tzaddik actually is. He is a person who is one with Him. Okay, let's go on with what uh, the Baal HaSulam is going to tell us here. Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag, the Baal HaSulam, he calls the mitzvot, he calls them actually pieces of advice. 
Now the reason he calls them pieces of advice is because in the Holy Zohar, the great sages, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, also calls them pieces of advice. Many years ago, the first time I, I ever heard that, it, it was a bump in the road for me. Because I heard a, a wonderful great rabbi teaching on this. And, uh, and as soon as he said, you know, he said, the mitzvot, actually, they're not even commandments. They're just pieces of advice. And I thought to myself, that, that can't be so. That absolutely can't be so. They're commandments, and we are expected to do them. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I still didn't have this idea in my head of the halakha being a path that, that must be tread or a map that brings us back to Hashem, okay? But the more I thought about it and the more I got clarification on that from, uh, from my rabbi, it's, it's absolutely the truth. It's absolutely the truth. If you wish to return to the source, they say, they contain, the commandments contain the good advice to do so. They are the roadmap to do it. But the choice is yours because Hashem never forces a person, either a Jew or a non-Jew, He never forces a person to make that choice to travel that path. Now, He may, he, he may, he may uh, influence you, absolutely. We hope He does. But He doesn't force you. He doesn't twist your arm. Then I found something that Rabbi Levi Yitzhakar Berdichev, and because he's the great-grandfather of my rabbi, Rabbi Richmond, uh, he's very, very special to me, and for more reasons than that, actually. But Rabbi Levi Yitzhakar Berdichev, he always pointed out that following or walking in the commandments, in other words, for a Jew to keep halakha, that that literally is our connection to Hashem. And he pointed that out in because in Hebrew, the word mitzvah, okay, and you can see it, I've, I've put it there on the screen for you, which is generally translated as commandment. It has exactly the same root as the word savta, which means connected. And in modern Hebrew, we use that word savta to mean a team, or being together, togetherness. Now that's amazing. <laughs> it actually is. So let us, let's expand on what uh, the Baal HaSulam says. They're not only are they pieces of advice, but they are pieces of advice of how to be connected to Hashem. And we know that the only way we can be connected actually and in, in be a team with Him or have togetherness with Him or to use other language that's used in, in uh, Kabbalistic writings to be one with Him is if we follow the halakha of the mitzvot, of the commandments. And, and because that is what, actually, if we just have to work on our motivation, that is what, if you're keeping the commandments only because, so you can get some big reward, you know, in the world to come, even though you know you'll get rewarded in the world to come, that is not the motivation. The motivation is to become one with Hashem. The motivation is to return to Him. The motivation is to please Him and to do good to others. And in that way, the halakha, this is our connection. It's absolutely an amazing thing. So I encourage you to look at, you know, sometimes you'll hear, well, you know, a certain rabbi will say, well, halakhically speaking, our, 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 the question will come, was, what does the halakha say about this or about that? And, and a lot of times, as soon as we hear the word halakha, we say, oh, some dry legal thing, we're going to split a hair, and, uh, you know, it'll be some dry legal thing. It's not such a thing at all. It's absolutely a road map, and it's to take the right path, to take the right path that reconnects you with Hashem. That's the idea, okay? Now, halakha comprises actually two categories of mitzvot. And, and, 
and I've left out something very important here. I left out the positive mitzvot and the negative, but we'll mention them in just a, in just a second, even though I didn't make a slide for them. Anyway, halakha comprises two categories of mitzvot. Those mitzvot, those commandments that address the relationship between Hashem and a human being. Okay, and we see this actually in the Ten Commandments, on the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And those that are concerned with the relationship between a human being and his or her fellow human being. Okay, we can actually see that. on the, uh, the, the There is a parallel actually between the first five of the Ten Commandments and the second five of the Ten Commandments. The first five have to do with the relationship between Hashem and a human being. The second five have to do with the relationship between a human being and, and his or her fellow, fellow human being. Okay? Now, by the way, there's a one-to-one -one parallel. Commandment number one parallels commandment number six. Commandment number two. Commandment number seven. Uh, this, is, this is actually a beautiful, amazing study. Uh, I, I, I did this study for a, a very long time ago in a, on television called The Tablets of Blue. Because actually the Oral Torah tells us that the original Ten Commandments were not written on two flat stone tablets. Uh, they were written actually on tablets of sapphire, of sapir, sapphire. And that in and of itself, just the word sapphire, uh, which we've studied already a little bit. Uh, yes, they're actually, they're actually uh, six-sided. They're not cubes. They're a six-sided, uh, a hexagon shape, crystal, crystal shape, two together. So you, so you, you would have two, two tablets, six sides. That's twelve, but two of those sides are fused together, and so you have actually ten surfaces, ten outward surfaces. And commandment number one would go in on would would go in on one side, and on and commandment number six would come out on the surface that's opposite it. All right, that is the that's the connection between there. It it actually is extremely cool when you when you sit down and diagram it, uh, and and you see this this beautiful thing. Anyway, uh, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother story. But there is that parallel. Now, the other thing is that there are positive commandments. There are negative commandments. Okay, we know from the study, we know from the study of of uh, the Ramchal. In some of his in some of his works, uh, specifically, I know that he mentions in Derek Hashem this concept. The negative commandments, God gives us the negative commandments just to keep us from damaging the universe. And what he means by that is, you, you, we have to remember this concept. You remember the Ramchal taught us that every thought that we think, every word that we say, or everything that we do, or sometimes don't do. Uh, and there can be all kinds of possibilities there. A lot of times we don't do things that we should do. Other times we do things that we shouldn't do. This is what the, the negative commandments are about. Anyway, everything that we think, say, and do, the Ramchal tells us, it either adds to the side of evil or uncleanness in all of the universes, not just the world in which we live, but all of the spiritual universes above us, or it adds to the side of holiness. And these are the two sides which we are going to talk about shortly. Now, so, so, um, now I forgot what I was going, oh, yes, okay, excuse me. That's what I get for not making a slide on this and trying to talk off the cuff. Thank, thank Hashem that uh, he brought it back to my head. Okay, so the Ramchal also tells us in Derek Hashem that the negative commandments, the negative commandments have to do 
with stopping us as human beings from damaging all the universes, meaning adding to the side of uncleanness in all the universes. That's what the negative commandments are about. The positive commandments, on the other hand, they all have to do with repairing the damage that has been done. In other words, literally rectifying our world and all the spiritual worlds that are above us, healing them, bringing them closer to a final redemption, bringing them closer to a completion, uh, or adding to the side of good. By adding to the side of holiness in all the universes, we actually subtract or rectify or fix damage that has been done and added to the side of uncleanness. That's the idea. And this is one of the reasons why it is so why it is how can we do that the positive commandments uh for instance okay so if we come to bene noah commandments you know there's a sense that i've heard this said a lot although i personally think that even though six of the bene noah commandments are in the sense of being negative ones okay right they're, they're negative ones still if we look at some of the great things that the sages have said about these negative commandments there are also many positive things that can that can actually also be done that are totally connected to those six negative ones. So anytime there's a positive one. Now the seventh Noahide commandment of establishing courts of justice, that of course is that is the main way in order for uh, a Bnei Noach uh, to start to repair damage that has been done. We can even see that just on the simple level. We can understand that very clearly. Uh, of how that works even on, on the simple level in the physical world. But it also works in all the spiritual worlds above us. Now, there are other things, though, also. For instance, you know, now there's going to be a big argument about this. But I can tell you from the tradition that I'm coming from and from the rabbi that I'm coming from, it's perfectly wonderful for a B'nai Noach to say the Shema. In Derek Hashem, in the Ramchal's work, he shows how the positive commandment of saying the Shema, and that doesn't mean just the, the, the six words of, of Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It doesn't just mean that. It means the entire Shema. That's just the first verse. but It has a second, third, and fourth verse also uh, that you can find in any Siddur. But that, that one thing the Ramchal points out in Derek Hashem does more to repair the universe and all the stuff that we've messed up than anything else. If we come to it with the correct attitude and the correct motivation uh, and and the correct place of of uh, working with the with the halakha with the with the mitzvot. So I'm just telling you this just to pass on to you. It's the negative commandments that's to keep us from damaging all the universes. It's the positive commandments that's the that's the tool that we have in order to repair the damage. Okay, the damage that is first going to repair is the final line on this particular slide. Working with the Torah and the mitzvot and the commandments are the pieces of advice, are the road map back to Hashem. It purifies all of the different aspects of the will to receive for oneself alone. And I'm so glad that Rabbi Ashlag put it this way. Different aspects of the will to receive for oneself alone. Because we fool ourselves sometimes. We think we think we've got it all together and we haven't purified all of the different aspects of the will to receive for ourselves alone. And I just point that out just just to raise our level of vigilance because because we really we really need that. Okay? Okay. We'll move on a little bit. 
Okay, now we come to the whole idea of uh, if you do any study in Kabbalah at all or if you listen to any uh, uh, Kabbalistic rabbis uh, who are teaching at this level, you'll hear this saying. Uh, you'll either hear Sitra Akra, meaning the other side, that's Aramaic for the other side, or you'll hear the subject of the shales or the klipot. The klipot is the Hebrew term. All of these are Kabbalistic terms that that uh, are used to refer to the dark side of the creation, uh, the evil side, the uncleanness. Okay, and and Kabbalah teaches that, teaches us there are four worlds of holiness, and opposing them, or in other words, on the and and don't think of these as the, these are not totally separate worlds. Okay, these are not totally separate worlds. It's the same way. Uh, I'm glad you said that. The Yetzirah, the evil inclination. It's it's the same way in a human being, the, because the, what does the Kabbalah teach us? Adam, Adam, Adam Kadmon, Adam, an Adam, a human being is the pattern also of the entire universe. So just like in the human being, there are two frameworks, okay, that mirror each other. Uh, it's the same way in all the universes. So there are four worlds of holiness, and opposing them are four worlds of uncleanness. And those two frameworks, they actually mirror each other. Now, a person, we need to know that a person, a human being, identifies with the framework of holiness when we are doing his or her spiritual work. What does that mean? That means walking in the mitzvot. That means keeping the halakha for the right reason in order to transform that will to receive for oneself alone. Now, that is an oversimplification, but still, that basically is what it is. Uh, that is the spiritual work. And, and Rabbi Ashlag tells us in one place or in another place uh, in a, a set of writings that he did, he says, what is the spiritual work? It's actually anything that goes against our nature, meaning our, our natural nature of the will, to, or what we think is our natural nature of this will to receive for oneself alone. Okay? If it puts you out, <laughs> or if you feel like it puts you out a little bit, uh, then, then this you know already that this is an area of spiritual work. It's a, it's an interesting concept. Anyway, what we have to strive to do, and the only way we can do it is to know the is to study the Torah, in order to know the halakha, in order to have the roadmap, in order to transform the will to receive for oneself alone. This is the idea. This is the idea of how thinking, speaking, and doing can add to the side of holiness. And not to the side of, not damage, not to the side of uncleanness, pollution. Okay, that's another way to look at this. In fact, there's a whole study that we can look at this on having to do with so many people in the world thinking, saying, and doing negative things. It adds so to the sitra akra, to the other side, uh, to the klipot, that it's like living in pollution, and it's very, very difficult to live that way. We know that uh, just thinking of what pollution does can, can do to a human body, it's the same concept. It's exactly the same concept, the same parallel concept. Okay. When a person, Rabbi Ashlag tells us, is only interested in selfish self-love, then they are identified with the framework of the other side. They're totally connected to the framework of the other side. They are totally adding only to the side of uncleanness. R is the Ramchal, and I mentioned this here, and we already mentioned it before, but I put it on the slide here. I just got I got a little out of uh, order here, where he's talking about this idea of every thir thought, thought, word, and deed, and non-deed, or either adding 
to holiness or the side of uncleanness. Now, Rabbi Ashlag is quick to tell us, though, that a person, and this is a benoni, okay, this is an in-between person. It can actually even be said, this can actually even be said to some extent about people that we would even think were wicked. A person can change from identifying or adding to, okay, with one or the other sides many times in the course of a day. Until a person comes to the, to the level of a completed tzaddik, this can happen. And, and I said, even, you remember those lessons that we did where, where we talked about a Benoni, we talked about a tzaddik, and then we talked about a wicked person, a rasha. And it's actually all three of those things in the same person, okay? There is the quality. We weren't talking about individuals. We were talking about the quality of a rasha, the quality of wickedness, the quality of, of a Benoni, of an in-between person, the quality of a tzaddik. That's in us all the time. And, and and we can go back and forth and uh, and and be careful sometimes you know I know we and, and I'm not trying to discourage you to, to not do the hard work we have to do the hard spiritual work uh, I, I'm encouraging you to do it but be careful anytime you think suddenly that you have arrived and that you have it completely all together uh, any of those things uh, sometimes we set ourselves up for a big mess that way anyway there are always two ways, Rabbi Ashlag says, of responding to any situation. And the idea, by the way, is not to react. Don't react. Respond. In other words, make a response. But he's saying there are always two ways. The first way is a reaction, actually. And that is to act out of egoism. Asking of the situation, what can I get out of it? What can I personally get out of this? Or, how can I exploit this situation to my own gain and advantage? All right? In asking that question, the Baal HaSulam says, the feelings and the needs of the other people that are involved, it may be completely irre- irrelevant to me. And I may be quite prepared to damage them in order for myself to profit. To act in this way, he says, this... <coughs> excuse me. To act in this way would be to place oneself firmly, and this is strong language for Rabbi Ashlag, firmly in the realm of the other side, in the realm of the shells, in Sitra Akra, or on the side of uncleanness, whatever term we want to use from the different, the different sages uh, in the Kabbalah use. Okay? That other side, to be firmly there. And to be firmly there, the Baal HaSulam will tell us, puts us, as far away from Hashem as we possibly could be. We can't actually get any farther away from Him than that. Than this simple thing. Listen, this even though it is complicated, it's not complicated. This is a simple thing. Two ways of responding to any situation. One out of egoism. Uh, ignoring other people's feelings. In, or, in, 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 in ignoring their needs and or ignoring what they need to accomplish. The other way, and that puts us on the side of uncleanness. On the other hand, he says, we can always respond to any situation out of our own wholeness. Because there is a holy way of responding. And that way is to consider the true need the true desires and the aspirations, not just of ourselves. Now, you don't have to kick yourself out of the picture. But it's not just of ourselves, but it's of the others, too. And then respond to that. Let's read it again. 
the holy way of responding to any situation is to consider the true need, the desires, and the aspirations of ourselves and others, everyone else who's involved, and then respond to that. From this perspective, the question that we ask, instead of asking ourselves, what can I get out of this? How can I personally gain out of this? Or how can I uh, you know, get by with doing the least or, or whatever? Now it's, what can I give to this situation? How can I help in this situation? How can I heal in this situation? To ask these questions, the Baha Sulam tells us, of any situation that we encounter in life, that is what it means to identify with the realm of holiness. That's what it means to begin this correction process, this transformation process of our will to receive for ourselves alone. And that's what it means to distance ourselves from the realm of the other side and of the shells. That's what it means to be able to break a klipa. I mean, uh, and it's, it's just unbelievable. This is what it means to actually move to the side of where you become one with him. That's what it means. It's not, it's not actually overly complicated. The universe is overly complicated, just like a human body is overly complicated. But we can still understand basic things. And this is one of the reasons Rabbi Ashlag wrote his introductions, is so that we get this basic, most important fact out of, if we don't understand anything else in the Kabbalah, it's to understand this. We have to respond the correct way to situations that attach us, that identify us with, with, a, with, that place us firmly in the realm of holiness and distance us from the other side. This is just the, this is the most important thing that we can get a hold of. If you don't get a hold of anything else, it's, it has to do with this, this transformation of the will to receive for ourselves alone into a will to receive. And I keep repeating it all throughout this entire series for that reason, so that it's stuck in our heads and we can't get away from it. We can't escape. To transform it into a will to receive in order to give to others, in order to benefit others, and in order to please Hashem. He says, the question is asked in the introductions as to why God created and then sustains this realm of the other side. That's a very good question, and I hear it quite often. Because the other side seems to have exactly the opposite aims of Hashem. In other words, they are fighting him and fighting his purposes and fighting his aims all the time. And it seems like, since Hashem created it and since he sustains it, so it seems like that the unique one, uh, that Hashem is supporting the enemy. And the answer that is given is that even though the shells, the klipot, even though they are opposed to the realm of holiness, in the, in the big plan, in the big picture, in the grander plan, they have an absolutely not just an important role, but it's absolutely indispensable. It really is indis- indispensable. Uh, he reminds us to remember that the purpose of creation is for Hashem to bestow upon us, the vessels, the creatures, his creatures, the very maximum good. In order for him to do this, first we have to want it. Okay? The only way we can know that if, if we want it or not we have to we have to be aware of what evil is. We have to know it as evil. We have to want the good. Uh, we have to know uh, the, the suffering that evil brings into the world. We have to want the absence of that. We have to want the goodness. We, ha- we, we have to desire it. We must have the will to receive. That's the desire, okay? 
We have to have the will to receive that which Hashem wants to give to us. And Hashem gives us, Rabbi Ashlag tells us, a very large will to receive what He wants to give to us. But it has to be developed, by the way. That, that, that's also part of the whole purpose of why we are here. In, he gives us this big will to receive. It gets sidetracked in many of us into the will to receive for ourselves alone, which has to do with, with uh, emotional and physical pleasures. Uh, that's not what it's about. We're here in order to develop that very large will to receive, to develop it into wanting what he wants to give us, which is to share his light with us, to attach ourselves to him. He be quiet because he is the ultimate good. There is nothing better than him. The Ramchal tells us, Derek Hashem, very, very clearly, that for Hashem to share anything less than himself with us, this would not be good as far as he's concerned because he is the ultimate good, okay? So he, he gives us this large will to receive and, he, and we're here in order to develop that, to desire what he wants to give us. Otherwise, he says, tells us, we wouldn't enjoy it when it comes or we will make the supreme mistake of refusing it altogether, what Hashem wants to give us, this attachment to him. Okay, so the purpose of the framework of uncleanness is actually it's there to help us to enlarge our will to receive so that it will in the end be adequate, be big enough to receive all that God wants to give to us. The will to receive, he says, that we are born with, it needs a great deal of expansion and enlargement before it's adequate to fulfill its ultimate task. And we can just think of that as a small baby. Is a small baby thirsting after Hashem? No, it's totally the will to receive. In fact, there's there's not even a change that takes place, you know, until actually, well, for certain individuals there are. But for most, I'm thinking just in Jewish circles, and this is why bar mitzvah age is the age of 13, uh, and, and why a son now becomes a person who can follow the halakha, and who's held responsible to follow the halakha, and begin to, and begin to walk this road map back to Hashem. But if we were just a small baby... Uh, that will to receive only for physical things, that's nothing. So that that we are born with, it needs a great deal of expansion and enlargement before it will be adequate to fulfill its ultimate task. Another purpose of the other side is also to enable the possibility of free choice. If there was no evil in the world, if there was no other side, there would be no choice. There would be no free choice. And we have to have this free choice, even though on one level some rabbis will tell you that's an illusion, uh, that free will and free choice is an illusion, that still doesn't mean that our reality, it doesn't mean the reality where we have the possibilities of free will and free choice, that that's not a reality, okay? They're, They're just talking on a much higher level, so don't let that confuse you. Sometimes people will use that, they will use that, that level of teaching as an excuse to make the wrong choices and then blame that on Hashem. Okay, so so don't do that. In other words, oh, well, if Hashem is so in control of absolutely everything, then it doesn't matter what I think, say, or do. I can think, say, or do whatever I want to, and uh, that's, that's, that's missing the point. That's taking the beautiful science of Kabbalah and what it teaches us and totally taking our will to receive for ourselves alone and twisting it, manipulating it where it makes us feel good in order to make the wrong choices, okay? 
uh, light and goodness, Rabbi Ashwag says, only exist as experiential phenomena when they are juxtaposed, when they're up against their opposite, dark and evil. So we have to have this, this, uh, this contrast in order to have free choice. In such a case, he says, a person can and often must choose between them. We must choose between dark and light, good and evil. And this enables the person to eventually develop, he says, into a full-fledged, conscious vessel for the light. And this is what it's about. This is where we will end tonight, because this is what it's about. Everything we are talking about now is making the right choices, making the right responses, following the halakha. Whether it's the halakha for the Jews, whether it's the halakha for B'nai Noah, following the halakha. And you know, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone has a built-in Torah. Your divine soul comes from Hashem. And there is a built-in Torah there. It may not be aware at the level of consciousness yet to where it knows uh, what exactly a hair-splitting halakhic decision might be. Uh, and it may not have the experience to be able to make a hair-splitting halakhic decision. In other words, should I take, should I turn right on this street and go one block and then turn left or, or not? But every one of us has a built-in Torah that generally, very generally knows what's right, what's wrong. And when we begin to rationalize things in order to justify something that we know that is not, not really right, not really kosher, then we know our will to receive for ourselves alone is operating in full force. So what we can is we must make these choices. We must follow the advice. We absolutely must follow God's advice. And this is what will enable us to eventually, and it doesn't happen overnight, it's over time, but we have to work on it every hour of every day. It allows us to eventually develop into a full-fledged, and the key word here is conscious vessel, completely and totally aware for the light of Hashem in the world. That's what we're trying to work on. Okay. All right. We'll finish with that tonight. And uh, again, I apologize for the last time we were together not being able to make it. And uh, with God's help, absolutely, we will meet the ne next week with God's help. And I look very much forward to it continuing uh, fleshing out all of these different ideas uh, that are presented, that we, you know, the concepts that we read about in any Kabbalistic study, but that we don't necessarily completely understand the background of. <coughs> excuse me. So, excuse me for coughing. So, until the next time we're together, I'll tell you uh, Shalom Barakata, each and every one of you, peace and a blessing, and I'll see you next week, okay? All right, Shalom, Shalom.